0: You get the general idea that God uh, does heart surgery from time to time, a necessary thing. But we're looking at this next beatitude, which says, create in me a clean heart. And I think the first thing, you know, as I looked at this, I don't know what you think when you first see these words. But I think the first thing I learned from this beatitude is that Jesus is honestly interested in our heart. And uh, it's not enough to clean up the outside and to kind of prove this, we're going to go back. I want you to think about Matthew chapter 23. And in verses 25 to 26, uh, Jesus was talking to a bunch of people that were having heart problems. He said, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. I always love that word. Hupo two-faced people. Uh, For you clean the outside of the cup and the dish, but inside they are full of robbery and self-indulgence, you blind Pharisees. First, clean the inside of the cup and of the dish so that the outside of it may become clean. See, in that scripture right there, uh, the aim of Jesus is not to reform the manners of society, but to change the hearts of sinners like you and me. So we're really here today for heart surgery or kind of a heart checkup for all of us today. I've been through this so many times this last week. I don't even know how many times I ever sang, Create Me a Clean Heart, O God, although not in the uh, way in which uh, we were led today. It's kind of that old time way of singing it. But, you know, the aim of Jesus, like I said, is to work on our hearts. Now, for example, Jesus would not be satisfied with a society in which there were no acts of adultery. Instead, in Matthew five twenty-seven to 28 Jesus makes that very clear. He says, you have heard that it was said you shall not commit adultery, but I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Heart problems. I hope you get that. The heart is what you are. The heart is the place of the secrecy of your thoughts and your feelings, and nobody knows what those are. I mean, I'm not a mind reader. The only one that knows is God. And what you are at the invisible root matters as much to God as what you are hanging out on the branch someplace. First Samuel six sixteen seven says, but the Lord said to Samuel, this one they're ready to anoint a king, he said, Do not look on the appearance or the height of his statue, because I've rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on what? Outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. Wow. Matthew fifteen eighteen to 20. For what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart. And this defiles the person for out of the heart you want to know what's in your heart. You can say, well, I thought I only had blood. Well, I'm going to tell you what you actually got in your heart. It says evil thoughts, um, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. These are what defile a person. And you get a general idea that your heart can be pretty bad. I'll give you one more. Matthew chapter twelve, thirty-three and 34. Either make the tree good and its fruit good or make the tree bad in its fruit bad for the tree is known by its fruit. You brood of vipers, how can you speak good when you are evil for out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks. So, what we're talking about today is pretty crucial. The heart is crucial. You know, what we are in the uh, I, I said the deep recesses of our lives is what Jesus cares most about. Now, we can all come in and look happy, clappy every Sunday. I'm glad that happens. It's nice to see your smiling faces. And God says, okay, they look like a happy group today. But let me do a little heart looking. Let me check the hearts. So Jesus didn't come to this world just because we have a few bad habits. Uh, he came in this world because we got such dirty hearts that sometimes they need to be purified for us really to get a clear view of what God is actually like. Now, my personal conviction in all of this is that the fundamental problem in society today, or the fundamental problem in our culture today, is that we attempt to solve human problems, surface stuff, while neglecting the centrality of God in the life of the soul. You know, I, I, I heard something. Nancy had something on this morning. I just caught a little bit. She was listening to some other pastor preaching early today. Uh, but he's, he said something about how we're we're kind of all worried about what's happening to the Jews. But he, it's kind of, he said, but you got to remember when they're done with the Jews, who are they going to come for next? Christians. Because they got the wrong kind of heart. I mean, that's essentially it. You see, we're so bombarded today by... Uh, poverty and crime and abuse and neglect and the wars and the injustices of man on man, that we're tempted to agree that the world is, well, it's useless to be concerned with whether the soul will ever see God. And that's why we need to bring the gospel to bear, because there are a lot of people just don't see God. They need to have heart surgery. But, and this is kind of the greatest tragedy of all, is seeking to re- remove the temporal miseries of man, sometimes what we do is we set aside the centrality of God. We're only interested in, like, well, come up here, let me just clean you up a little bit on the outside. Now, we've got to get a little bit deeper, you know, deep-seated scrubbing. And yet Jesus comes to us this morning, I think he comes to us every morning, and he says, blessed are the, what, the pure in heart. Not first because they change society, but because then they'll actually see God. And when you see God, then you've got the power to do what? Change society. See, seeing God is the great goal of remaining pure. Uh, Abandon that and uh, human culture just collapses into ruin. So we're going to dig a little deeper. I'm going to ask three questions this morning as part of the message. And the first question is this. What is it? What does it mean to actually see God? You know, we, we I think there's a song that says I, I've seen him high and lifted up. <laughs> yeah. Have you ever seen God? Well, how does that happen? Well, the first thing I want to suggest to you to see God means to be admitted to his presence. I mean, you're not going to see him if he's not there. Uh, it, Take you back to the plague of darkness. Remember when Moses was trying to get the Israelites out of Egypt? Um, He goes up to Pharaoh in Exodus 10. um, Pharaoh says to Moses, get away from me. (laughs) Take care that I never, ever see your face again. I don't want to see your ugly mush around here anymore. Uh, For on the day I see your face, you will die. And Moses, what does he say? It's okay with me. You'll never see my face. Face again, removing himself from the presence. Now, if I were to pick up the telephone and call um, the place where I go to my doctor, I don't know what the name of the place is. Uh, and I say, but I want to see Dr. Tripp. I actually remember my doctor's name. But I want to see Dr. Tripp today. What I mean is I don't want to see him from a distance. I don't want to see his picture hanging in the hallway there. At, is it Cox? Probably that's where it's at. I'm not sure. I don't go there often enough. Uh, What I really want is I want an appointment with him. Uh, So the first thing seeing God means is to be admitted into his presence. He's admitted us into his presence this morning. We come with thanksgiving in our hearts. God said, I'm glad to have you here with me. The second thing is seeing God means being awestruck by his glory. When was the last time you just kind of went, oh, man. I can't believe what God just did. You, st- you know, we could have sung that song today. I stand in awe of you. We're all struck by his glory. What, what he does, it's a direct experience of experiencing what that holiness is all about. I remember being in a stewardship meeting, of all things. Stewardship meeting a long time ago, way back at Emmanuel and Belvedere. And we had a guy come in and talk. That And when he was done talking... I looked around to see whether there were still feathers on the floor from the Holy Spirit having been there that night. That's just the way it felt to me, being in the presence of God. See, after God confronted Job in the whirlwind, you go back and read all that. In chapter 42, verse 6, he said, I heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eyes see you. Therefore, I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. When you see God, your first, it's like, hey, nice to meet you. No, it's like, down on the ground. I, I stay, I, I can't even stand in all of you. I lay on the ground in the dirt in all of you. And see, virtually all of our spiritual sight that you and I even have today is kind of mediated to us through the Word of God. That's how we see Him or the work of God in providence as we experience how he works in our lives, you know, the healings or whatever it is. We see images of his glory. We see reflections of his glory in our life. We hear little echoes of it. We can hear the little reverberations of his glory around us. But there will come a day. And I look forward to this day, quite honest. Somebody asked me the other day, so how old are you? I said, well, I'm getting closer to the day I see Jesus. (laughs) <laughs> and they said, well, come give me a number. I said, get out of here. Um, and see, his glory is no longer going to be inferred from the lightning or the mountains roaring or the constellation. It said, we will see Jesus face to face. Face to face. Now, if you get, get into the book of Revelation, Revelation 21, verse 23, uh, it says his glory actually will be the light of. It won't be like a sun and a moon and stars. His glory will be the thing that lights up everything. And it says his holiness will be tasted like honey. Isn't that interesting? So seeing God means not only being admitted into his presence, but also being awestruck by the direct experience and the magnificence. I don't know who's the most famous person you've ever met. I remember being introduced to Chuck Colson a number of years ago at a Coitania House National Bank. I, that's kind of standing awe. I mean, Chuck—it's Chuck Colson for heaven's sakes. I, I've been inter- introduced to George Bush, H.W. at the Rangers game. It's nothing compared to. I don't even know what I'd say if God said, "Hey, come on in, let's talk." <laughs> Meek. Yeah but the experience and magnificence of his glory is coming. Here's a third thing here. And seeing God means being comforted by his grace. And I love that word grace, G-R-A-C-E, God's riches at Christ's expense. Uh, the psalmist continually cries out to God that God not hide his face from them. For example, this is Psalm 27, uh, verses 79. David says, Hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud, be gracious to me and answer me. You have said, seek my face. My heart says to you, your face, Lord, do I seek. Hide not your face from me. You know, hide not your face is another way of just simply saying, be gracious to me. I look at you and you smile back at me. That feels better than if I looked at you and you went (laughs) like that. That's That's a big change here. Be gracious to me, seeing a face that is sweet and comforting. uh, If God shows his face, guess what? You and I are helped. We are helped. If he turns his face away, we're lost. So when Jesus promises the reward of seeing God, there are at least three things I I suggest you that he implies. One is that we're going to be admitted to his presence. I mean, you got to be by him to see him, not just stay out in the waiting room. I think another thing is we'll be awestruck just by the experience of his glory. I mean, you think about the greatest thing you think you've ever seen? Think the Chiefs are going to win the Super Bowl? Is that going to be the greatest thing you're ever going to see? No. Seeing God will be. And the third thing is we're going to be helped and comforted by his grace. And friends, this is what we will have in part now and fully in the age to come if we are pure in heart. So we're going to get to that part of it. We're going to talk about the heart. What does it mean to have a pure heart? Well, we start with the closest Old Testament parallel, I think, in Psalm Psalm 24, verses 3 and 4. It says, Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? And who shall stand in the holy place? He who has what? Clean hands and a pure heart. Who does not lift up his soul to what is false and who does not swear deceitfully. One of my favorite bands down at Angola out at Camp C or D are the pure heart messengers. And I asked her, how did they come up with that? Well, this is where they came from. They wanted to be pure of heart and be the messengers of Jesus. In their singing. So you can see what David meant by having a pure heart. If you re- read a little bit further, verse 6, he says, I, I want to seek the face of the Lord, and so I need to have a pure heart in order to do that. You can read about that in James 4, 8, too. Draw near to God, and what? He will draw near to you, but he says, But cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded people. See, this impurity of double-mindedness, James actually explains that. This is pretty tough words here. He says, this is in James 4, You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world... Anybody know how that ends up? You want to make yourself a friend of the world? You make yourself an enemy of God. You make yourself an enemy of God. So the double-minded man, schizoid, that's the... Hebrew, uh, verse 8, he is a heart that's divided constantly between the world and God. It's kind of like a wife who has a husband and a boyfriend. Or uh, the other way around, too. Purity of heart, on the other hand, uh, is to will one thing, namely a full and total allegiance to God. You know, fully sold out. So where in the Gospels does Jesus actually talk about the purity of heart? Well, we're going to go back to Matthew 22 here, verse 37. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart. There you go. Not part of your heart, not the leftovers of your heart, not with a double heart, not with a divided heart. Uh, That would would be impurity. Purity of heart is no deception. It's no double-mindedness. It is no divided allegiance. A purity of heart is to will one thing, and that is namely focusing on God's values and God's truth in everything we do. So the aim of a pure heart is really to align ourself with the truth of God and the sovereignty of his will. If you want to be pure in heart, you've got to pursue God with utter single-mindedness. I've had conversations with people where I kept bringing a Bible. Said, you know, you've got some one-track mind here. I mean, you're always going back to the Bible. I said, the best place to go. Uh, purity of heart is to will one thing. And that just kind of leaves one last question. How are these two things tied together? See, Jesus only kind of gives us a part of the answer here. He says that the pure will see God. So the purity is the prerequisite. Pre- Requisite. I should have come up with another word there, <laughs> prerequisite um, of seeing God. And so the impure are neither granted admittance uh, to his presence nor awed by the glory or comforted by his grace. And so Jesus points this out. Hebrews twelve fourteen. strive for peace with everyone. For the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. It's kind of like if you don't get along with other people. How can you expect to get along with God who created them? Wow, that's pretty tough. This, leads, this is Proverbs 20, verse 9. Who, who can say I've made my heart pure? I am clean from my sin. Or the disciples. Well, who then can be saved? And Jesus comes back and says, with men, it's impossible. But guess what? God does heart surgery. <laughs> with God, all things are possible. In other words, God creates a purity for us and in us so that we can pursue purity. And by his grace, we must seek that gift by praying like David did. I think this is a passage that was in the screen before, but from Psalm 51.10. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Or if you want a New Testament, Titus 2.14. It says about Jesus, it says, who gave himself for us. To purify for himself a people. See, the response to God's act of redemption. we got a cross, his suffering, death. We're going to be rolling into Lent in a couple of weeks. Ash Wednesdays, Monday Thursdays, Good Fridays, that whole act of redemption. And see, our response to God's act of that, whether it be creation or his sacrifice for us, is single-minded faith in Jesus as our Lord and our Savior. We're not looking for any other way out of this. Acts fifteen nine. He, God, made no distinction between us and them, having cleansed their hearts by faith. Now, God is the only one who can do that. Your pastor can't do that. I, I, I can tell you about him, but I'm not the one who can do this. God is the one who can purify the heart. And the instrument with which he cleans cleans the heart is faith. I bet everybody here knows Proverbs 3, 5. It's one of my favorite Bible. I actually like Proverbs 3, 5 and 6, where he says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. But it goes on and says, and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. That's the end of that verse. Do this one thing, he says, and guess what? You will see God.